Uh, let's go to Mark chapter 12, Mark chapter 12, and I'm going to skip to verse 28, Mark 12, verse 28, and I'm going to read through 31. And it says, um, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Verse 29, the most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God and the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And he says in verse 31, the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Amen. We, we started a series a couple weeks ago called Boundless Love. And last week, uh, we talked about how love is truly a language. And each of us speaks it differently. I described Gary Chapman's five love languages. How many actually went and looked for the book? Did y'all, did y'all remember? And, and try to discover each other's love languages, which was words of affirmation, quality time, receiving gifts, acts of service, and physical touch. Our willingness to love is really measured by our willingness to learn to speak the language of those we love. And I will tell you this without reservation, Jesus speaks your language. He is fluent in all five languages and his life and the word prove it. See, God communicates his love for the world by sending his only son to die on the cross to, to, to pay for our sins. But how do we communicate love to God? Deuteronomy 11 answers that question for us. The message of the chapter is simply this. To love God is to obey God. Love for God is not about a feeling on a Sunday morning. It's about a life of devotion every day. In John 14, 15, Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commands. Love for God is not optional. It is obligatory. Our chief duty to God is to love him, and we are to love God by obeying God. See, but as we read in Mark, to be able to love your neighbor, look at your neighbor, right? To be able to love that person, you have to love yourself. So I want to talk on a topic today. If you're taking notes, write down the sermon title of my message for boundless love, Embracing Your Worth. Write that down, Embracing Your Worth. Your worth. Come on, say it to yourself. I am worthy. Just say it. Say it with an attitude. Like, I am worthy, right? If he hasn't asked you to marry him, look at him right now. Say, I am worthy. Okay, no, no, we're not getting nobody in trouble, but <laughs> let's pray as we prepare our hearts to hear the word. Father, we thank you once again for allowing us to be here. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness, for who you are, for what you continue to do, for all that you've ushered in throughout this season, throughout this month in February. Lord, we ask you that people are able to receive your love, Lord, that they're able to understand, Lord, your commands, Lord, and that we can be able to live out, Lord Jesus, what you have called us to live out, Lord. Let's love you, Lord, and love the people next to us. In Jesus' name, come on, we pray. Amen, amen. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. Do you like what you see in the mirror? Where are my confident people at? Do you like what you see in the mirror? I'm not going to ask for those who don't like what to see. Please, we're going to, we'll do a special call at the end for those. No, no, no. Uh, some of y'all are like, yeah, I do like what I see in the mirror. And then I take off my shoes. I don't like my toes, though. You know what I mean? Or I don't like a certain part of my body. Or I don't like a certain, there's just this eyebrow right here is just something. Do you really like what you see in yourself? I, I heard a story of a bitter old man. He was talking to a young lady. Uh, Keyword: bitter old man talking to a young lady who told him that she thought 
she had an inferiority complex. He said, no, ma'am, you are inferior. She said, I want a second opinion. He goes, he said, okay, you're ugly too. That was rough. See, what people say to us can be devastating. Self-confidence is an interesting thing. It's a powerful thing. You can put a 12-inch board on the ground and walk across it. No problem, right? Raise that board 20 feet above the ground and walk across it. It's a big problem. Who's afraid of heights? Right? Me. Now, why? Because of confidence. The bottom line in personal need is for each person to regard himself as worthy, as significant. A feeling of personal significance is the most important element of personal happiness. Now, it is essential to your emotional, your social, your spiritual well-being that you feel worthy, that you feel accepted, that you feel significant. I remember when my wife and I, when we, when we bought our first house ever, right, as a married couple, and, and we were so excited of the process, and, and, and we were limited credit, I remember, and just, uh, we, we got approved for the house, we, we moved in, and, and, and I needed a refrigerator. Some of y'all heard this story before, right? And uh, uh, the house didn't come with a refrigerator, it was a used house, uh, the owner took it with them, and so we were like, hey, we got to buy a refrigerator, right? And so uh, we went, I remember we went to, uh, to Lowe's, right? We went to Lowe's first, and I remember we walked in, and, and I remember my parents were with me, my parents were excited, they were helping us move stuff in, so we were like, let's go to Lowe's, we got to pick up some stuff to do some changes in the house, and we were getting things ready to move in. So we go into Lowe's, and, and I was like, man, I saw this refrigerator that I saw, not today's refrigerators, they got like TVs and touchscreen. I saw a refrigerator. It was just a simple bottom top. That's it. You know, I was like, it's all I could do. Right? And I remember walking in and I was like, man, I spent so much money, my down payment. We, we had to buy all this stuff, this and that. The money I have left over, I really can spread it. I was going to buy it cash, but I was like, you know what? Let's finance it. Right? That's us. Let's do it. It's going to be like $600. I'll pay that off, you know, in three to six months. They had a deal. It was like six months, no interest. I was like, let's do it. So I go, I sign up. I put the information down, and I, was, and I submit it. So we go around, walking around Lowe's. I went up to the fridge. I said, you're mine. Have you ever claimed it, right? You grew up spiritual, so you're like, you're mine. You're going to be in my refrigerator. Yeah, materialistic, I get it. But I was like, we're going to take this home today. And so I remember my wife and I walking. We grabbed the stuff that we need. And um, that day... In particular, because of the deal they were giving was a lot of people filling out finance applications. So it was packed in that booth area. And I remember I'm walking around, they said, it's going to be about 30 minutes, right? Normally a store will just do the call, do the stuff, this and that. Okay, you're pre-approved. Let's go, right? No, no. It was like, we're backed up. We're going to get to your application momentarily. And so I remember they were calling the people down to let them know, you know, what the status of that application was. So they were calling on the intercom. They were, Mr. Carlos Andres Lopez, uh, please meet us in the finance section. I was like, let's go get that fridge, right? I remember walking up, we're going. And as I'm walking towards the booth, like right where the front row is, is as close as I'm this, this wonderful woman uh, of, I don't know if it was of God, but this wonderful woman was standing there holding my application. She was like, sorry, sir, you're declined. And I was like, I don't think she's talking to me. I'm just going to go ahead and walk this. No, you, you, sir. Yes. And I was like, huh? You're declined. Sorry, sir. You, you're not, you don't have, you can't, you don't have credit to be able to do this. And I'm like, the embarrassment. And I was like, ma'am. You know, she's like, sorry, sir. Next. And I was like, 
I looked back where the fridge in the direction the fridge was at. I said, we have no fridge. You know what I mean? I, I remember that feeling, that feeling, no lie. It may be, it may, some of y'all may be used to declines, but what a, for me, I was like, that was the first time that I ever felt something like that, right? Where I was like, you're declined. You're, you're not, I, I heard all the words that no one wants to hear. You're not worthy. You're a terrible steward as your finances. You're in this position. No, I just didn't have enough credit. That was the reality of what was happening. And I walked back and I was like, hey guys, we're going to decline. You know, somebody was listening to that. I was like, well, forget you, Lowe's. I'm going to Home Depot, you know. I got approved at Home Depot. But I remember always that feeling, right? Like when, you, when you're paying for your food and someone comes back, sir, your card was declined. You're like, but there's money in there. You've got all the excuses. Like, there's money. I already know. Like, you know, it's a, it's a here, use this one. Sorry, sir. That, it's embarrassing, right? I remember going on a trip with, with some friends and, and we, were, we were all together. It was a high-end restaurant, really expensive. It was our anniversary trip, four couples. And we were like, we're treating our wives, right? We didn't realize how expensive it was until we sat down because the menu had no numbers next to every ad item. So you know you're not for money when you go, how much is this? How much is this one? And you're calculating 50, 80, oh my God, right? It's like, and so I remember going and one of our friends, he was like, the lady came over, she's like, sir, but she was discreet. Sir, your card was declined. <laughs> and he was like, I got money in there. I remember real loud. And I was like, ugh, ugh. it's all packed. Everybody's whining and dining. Like, you know, we were around people that looked like they got money. Nobody had money there. We were all just sitting there just, and I'm like, no, you're too, and the embarrassment. We had to pitch together, put cash in to pay for it. That feeling that every single time I would go for something, even when we went for our house, when we built our house and we went for it, that feeling, that overall feeling of waiting to hear you've been declined. It was like PTSD just because of what that woman did to me. I had to forgive her years later. Never saw her again. See, it's not what you are that holds you back. It's what you think you are. Our thinking pattern gets confused. So often we put ourselves down and we don't feel good about ourselves. And then the colors, that colors everything that we do. And most of those things that we struggle with, it's not because we can't do them. It's because we think we're not capable of doing those things. That's why that feeling of being declined, that feeling of not having enough or, or that feeling of, 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 of we're never going to accomplish prevented me years later when we had to sell that home and, and we started renting for about seven years and we went through, I went through multiple layoffs and it was a difficult season for about six to seven years where everyone else was buying houses, but we're sitting here renting. I know some of y'all, maybe you may have felt that before. And like, Lord, I want to own something to my own. And, and, and what happens? We automatically label ourselves of we'll never be able to get that. We'll never be able to accomplish that. We'll never be able to, to fulfill and, and, and be able to receive that. And so we prevent ourselves from moving forward, fixing some things that we can possibly fix ourselves so that we can step in one day and, and be confident to know that we're going to be approved. It's not what you are that holds you back. It's what you think you are. See, self-image is your judgment of yourself. It is your picture of yourself. It is your opinion of yourself. And by the way, what I'm saying today in talking about happiness, I've read a lot of books on happiness, and I promise you that as best as I can determine, the key thing that runs through everything, everything that I've read about happiness, is this thing called self-image. 
And out of all the sermons that I've preached, not one is more important than what I'm talking about this afternoon because if you do not feel good about yourself, you will never be happy. If you cannot love yourself, you will not be able to love other people and you will not be able to love God. So everything hinges on this thing called self-image. Self-image will not be neutral in your life. It is incredibly powerful. It will be your greatest asset or it will be your worst enemy, but it will not be neutral. That's why you can look at artists today that are musicians or that are, that are singers or, or whatever it may be. They're famous and they're some of the ugliest people in the world, but people are like, oh my God, marry me. That man goes up there with such a confidence. It doesn't matter if he's ugly or he feels he's ugly or he's not according to the standard of what people think is beauty or, or is handsome. But his confidence just, it, it, it goes out the door where people start wanting to be around you because of how confident that you are. I'm not saying cocky. I'm not saying conceited. Just meaning that we can walk into a place and be like, I know who I am. I know who God's called me to be. I know what my calling is. I'm confident in who God has separated to me be. I know that I am anointed. I know that when I can walk into a room, I'm believing in Jesus' name just because I'm there and who's inside of me, the atmosphere will change. I know that whenever there's a chaos or turmoil, that there is somebody who's going to stand to their feet saying, we will pray and believe and trust in God that everything is in control. There has to be a confidence in our walk with God to know that, Lord, you are the one that has placed me in this place, in this position, and I am more than a conqueror. I am a person that's victorious. I am a person that will make it and push forward. Jesus always spoke in such an absolute that when he said, let us go to the other side to the disciples, he meant what he said. So when the disciples were in the, in the boat and the boat started rocking and, and things started and the storm started coming and they started losing their minds, they forgot of just a simple word saying, let us go to the other side, meaning we will make it to the other side. And a lot of times we're looking for answers. We're looking for certain things and God has already written it. God has already said it. God has already declared it over our lives. He's already said that greater is he that is within me than he that is within the world. Do you know the power that's inside of you the moment you surrender and submit your life? to Jesus. You're able to face things that you couldn't face before. When I talk about self-image, we're talking about the visualization of everything that your mind comprehends. It's this self-portrait that you paint on the canvas of your mind and how you think other people think about you. And once you paint this self-portrait on the canvas of your mind, that colors and shapes every experience that you have. What you think about yourself, your self-image, and everything else that is spoken and acted out in your life hinges on your personal self-image. Yes, she that kid knows. I can tell you what happens. Satan knows. He knows that, and Satan plays in our minds. The battlefield of Satan is the human mind. That's where he spends his time and his energy. That's where he uses his creative talent, his incredible knowledge. It's working on your mind. He works in your mind and he is constantly pouring lies into your mind. He is convincing you to believe things that simply are not true. Let me tell you what the devil tells you. The devil tells you that your self-worth is based on two things, performance and other people's opinion. He tells you that your value as a person 
your worth as a person is based upon how well you perform and what other people think about what you do. That your worth is based entirely upon those two things. He goes a step further and he tells you that God loves and accepts based on your performance. But those are lies. Your worth and value is not based upon your performance. It is not based upon the opinion of other people. God's love for you is not based upon what you do. And regardless of your performance, there are many examples in our world of what happens when we believe the devil's lie. The beauty cult. To be worthy, you must be beautiful. The literary cult says to be worthy, you must be smart. The status cult that says to be worthy, you must be successful. The materialism cult says in order to be worthy, you must be rich. God's word says that's all a bunch of lies. God's word says that to be worthy, you must be you. You only need to be you. That you are significant and worthy and special and only need, and and you only need you to be worthy. See, in Psalms 139, there's a great passage that just reminds us of what God thinks about us and what part God played in our lives. I'm going to read it in the, in the Living Bible translation. In verse 13 of Psalms 139, it says, You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit them together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Man, look at that statement. Look at your husband right now, wives. Thank you, God. He made me complex, right? Husbands, now say that to your wife as well. Yes, you are complex. No, I'm just kidding. Yes. I love you. I love you. And it says, it is amazing to think about. Your workmanship is marvelous. And how well I know it. You were there while I was being formed in utter seclusion. You saw me before I was born and scheduled each day of my life before I began to breathe. Every day was recorded in your book. How precious it is, Lord, to realize that you are thinking about me constantly. I can't even count how many times a day your thoughts turn towards me. And when I waken in the morning you are still thinking of me. See, before you were born, God loved you and he saw you to be special. And he is concerned about every detail in your life. In John 3, 16, it says God loves the world and that world includes you. You are loved by the Lord so much that he gave his son to die in your place on that cross. And when Jesus tells us about the Lord's prayer, he says, pray it in this way. Our father who art in heaven, that means that you have a heavenly father, that you are a child of God. And as a child, you are special. You are worthy and you are valuable. In 1 Corinthians 15, we find, out about, we find out about Paul's affirmation of his own self-confidence, his own positive self-image. And he says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 9 through 11, he says, For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach and this is what you believed. Man, what an affirmation of his own self-image and his own confidence in what God has done in his life. Paul said, when you line up the apostles, I'm at the end of that line. I'm the least. Paul said, when you 
Talk about those things that I have persecuted the church of God and I've tried to wreck the church of God and stamp out Christianity. He said, you have to put me at the top of that list. I was absolutely the worst. He said, praise God, something happened in my life and he saw me as worthy. God reached down on that Damascus road. Paul was gloriously saved. And now he says, I am what I am by the grace of of God. God had forgiven that past and he removed it as far as from the east is from the west. And now Paul can feel good about himself because God sees him as worthy. God loves me, therefore I can love myself. I am totally accepted, unconditionally loved, fully forgiven, fully pleasing, therefore I can love myself. And that's a positive self-image. What a transformation of Paul's life and what a transformation of our life. You know who you used to be. You know what you're capable of. You know where you came from. And if it wasn't for Jesus, we'd be in that same mess. We could be worse off. But he came and he, he walked right into my mess. He crawled into my chaos. He lifted me up. And when I surrendered to him, I was fully forgiven. I was fully healed. And God began to work in my life. And there may be people in your life that still remind you of your past. There may be family members that remind you of who you used to be. There may be people that still identify you because of your past relationship. But can I tell you, the moment I give my life to Christ. The moment I submit and surrender to him, God literally erases that and doesn't look back upon it. We are reminded about it so that we can diminish the thing that God had done in our lives. And God says, you are more than worthy. You are more than valuable. You are my masterpiece. And when you look at a word as masterpiece, that is the artist's best work. If God is contributing and saying to me that I am his masterpiece, he's telling me I am the best. That is what you save to show last. Here's my pieces of art. Those are good, but wait till I bring you the one that I made that I put so much work into. This is my masterpiece. This is what has value. That is what God thinks of you. That is what he sees in you. He sees you at your best. We see us in our weight. We see us in our height. We see us in the color of our skin. God sees our heart. He sees beyond that. And he says, I love you and created you on purpose for a purpose. It is a boundless love that is unconditional. Do not allow someone else to tell you something that I'm telling you that you are more than worthy and we get caught up because of what's happened because it hurts man life hurts situations in life hurt they affect us and we feel certain ways our young people it's all about identity who am I today who should I be who should I become and a lot of us were different people in different circles with this group of people, I'm this person. With this group of people, I'm this person. In here, you're a different person. Wherever you may be, you have to fall into a line where you have to be somebody that you're not. And God is saying, I want you to be your full self. I need all of you. I need 100% of your life. Submit it to me. Make me Lord of your life. I'm always going to be Savior. I will save you in your mess. I will save you in all the chaos. But make me Lord. I will guide your steps. Self-image. That is what Matthew 22 says. It says, we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and love our neighbor as ourselves. That says that we are to love ourselves. And in Ephesians 5, it says, husbands, love your wife as you love your own body. That we are to love ourselves. Then in Philippians 4, 1, Paul says, therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord. Dear friends, Paul said, you whom I love. 
Now, how could Paul love these people? Paul could love these people because Paul had realized that God loves him. And he had received him. And he had received God's love. And once he received God's love, he can love himself. And once he loved himself, then he was free to love God and other people. It's a circle kind of love. So glad you're listening to our podcast. And we're believing it'll bless your life. And our desire is to impact more souls with the gospel of Christ. If you want to join this mission and want to give today, we will be so grateful. And you can do so by visiting our website at www.revivecolleen.com or text GIVE to 844-462-9071. Now let's get back to the message. You're like, what's the big deal with Paul before he was Paul? He was a murderer of Christians. He would kill them by the hundreds, massacre them. And God came and transformed his life. So how do I love people I used to hate? How, how do I love people that hurt me? How do I love people that rejected me? I, I'm not saying right now I need you to show an expression of love to someone who beats you. Have you ever heard the term, you can love from a distance? A form of love is also praying for somebody. Lord, I'm praying for this person. Or if I've forgiven what has happened, then I can let go of things and not look back at what I walked away from. I'm not talking about that type of, what I'm referring to is who around you needs an expression of love in your job, in your home, wherever you go. Am I reflecting his love? Maybe it's a struggle to think, I, I don't, I just, I'm not a people person, I don't deal with people. We're not asking, it doesn't say be an extrovert in order to share love. You know, I, I, I posted something earlier and um, it was something that people will see you based on your energy before you even speak. Right? They'll see you off of your energy. You walk into a place hurried, right? Like real, because you're on a rush. It's okay. We, we, I got, it, it, it's going to project to people that, that may know you and they recognize you that, oh, she looks busy or he looks busy, right? Let me not, hey, good to see you, right? Oh, hey, God bless you, right? If, if I walk in with a sour face and I'm angry and this and that, someone might look at that and go, something's wrong with them, right? Depending what side of town, someone will look at you and say, hey, why are you looking at me like that? You know, it depends where you've, but what I'm saying is that your energy, who you are, is, is, is reflected Right, right, Will? Customer service is everything when it comes to at your job. If I look unapproachable, I'm like, it's like I'm not going to him. He looks like an idiot. Let me go to this one over here. He's like, right? You lost the sale. But my energy, I, 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 for me, every time I, my wife gets really annoyed because I, I research a lot before I buy something. I look at reviews. I, sort of, I literally stand there in, in Walmart looking at the iron, and I'm over here, um, how's this iron? Right now I'm going to look at Amazon. There's reviews. All right, let me look at this review. Let me see. Does it stay hot? I'm standing looking at the iron, you know, just right there. And Maria's like, just pick one. Hurry up. Like, come on, really? Like, what? like no, babe, I'm investing in something that's going to iron my clothing. 
that I paid money for, right? And she, oh, she, she, it's, it's like the time, right, that it takes to do these certain things, right? I like to do this. So, so whenever I walk into a store and, and I go to a sales rep, especially those who know I, I, I like sneakers, I walk into a sneaker store and you don't know about a sneaker that I ask about, why are you working here? Hey, tell me about that one right there. I already know what it is. He's like, that's a, that's a Jordan. Which one? I don't know. All right, next. I need another person here. To you know, what I'm saying is, do, who, who am I projecting myself? What is my energy? And, and what I have in my hands, now this is a different message. What I'm in my hands, what I'm responsible for, what God has graced me to do, am I doing it with all my ability or am I just doing it bare minimum? Am I giving my all? And see, in that translate into our walk with Christ, am I really reflecting that I am a believer of Jesus? Do my friends know? Do my family know? Does everyone around me know that that is a person that trusts in God? I don't know everything about that Christianity, that religion, whatever it may be, but I just know that that person is always believing. That person goes to church. That person serves people. There's something different about that person. And it's not just I show up one Sunday, get a fix, and I disappear for three to four weeks. A lot of us put more energy in other things than we do for God. And God is saying, when you make me the center, I become a better husband when I get in the presence of God. I become a better father when I'm seeking the presence of God. I become a better friend when I'm seeking the presence of God. I become a better son when I'm seeking the presence of God. Why? Because his presence starts maturing and and, and moving things in me and, and really developing the fruits of the spirit so that in a moment's notice, I can preach a good news on a stage or off a stage. Is it just the bare minimum? Paul's like, wow, he changed me. See, you can never, ever love others or God until you first love yourself. And the only way you can love yourself is to receive God's love, is to recognize that in God's sight, even before you were born, he saw you as worthy and valuable. And he loved you so much that he provided salvation in sending Jesus Christ, and you respond to that love. Then you love yourself. And as a result of loving yourself, you have something to give out. And as long as you are empty of love, you have nothing to give out. But once you are filled with God's love, then you have something to give out. You can love other people and they turn love and they, and they reciprocate it. And they, and they in turn love you back in response. And the result of that is genuine happiness. I'm saying you can't be happy until you receive God's love, until you love yourself. And then you love others, and they in turn love you back. That is what produces personal happiness. But if you don't feel loved by God, and if you do not feel loved by others, if you cannot give and receive love, you will not know genuine happiness on earth. Now the question, where does a poor self-image come from? If so many people suffer from a poor self-image, and they do, where, where does it come from? comes from society our society is negative if you didn't know that where have you been <clears throat> you can look at social media and someone posts a video of a famous person and just go, go read the comments I mean the, the hate that people will write <clears throat> towards a 15 second clip without knowing the full context of what may be happening in that moment will judge you like crazy 
Society is negative. Everything you hear out there in the day of your life, you're bombarded with 1,600 advertisements all telling you that you can't have a happy life or complete life, that you can't be in, that you can't be complete unless you have whatever they are offering. 1,600 times a day, somebody's telling you that you are missing out because you don't have what the world is offering. The news is negative. If you take out the negative of the newspaper, how much do you have left? It's a negative world. Society is negative. The second place you get that poor self-image is from parents. Listen to me. The primary cause, the root cause of the poor self-image is traced back to parents. From that moment that child is born, the moment you begin to hold and rock that child, how you hold that child and what you say to that child begins to mold that self-image. You create in the minds of your children what they are potentially capable of being. And every word you say, not only the words that you say, but the tone in which you say it is recorded in the memory bank of that child. If you are more than critical, than complimentary, if you are more negative than positive, if you are more rejecting than accepting, you are building a poor self-image in that child that will cripple that child the rest of their life. I was a youth pastor for 15 years and it would break my heart ministering and uplifting a teenager that is having poor self-image knowing they still have to go back home where it's being torn down. There was a time that as a youth pastor that literally 80% of our teenagers that showed up, their parents were not at our church. They were coming to church. So they were coming to a place that was a safe haven to them to go back to chaos at home. So what can we do? We just keep building them up, building them up. Come on. No, you are more than a cop. No, no, you are worthy. You are valuable. That the moment those words are hit, it doesn't pierce their heart. And they're able to learn to guard my heart. I'm going to hold on to this. No, no, no. I remember what Pastor Andres said. I remember what those leaders said. I wonder, I remember what that church said. That I am valuable. That I am a masterpiece. That I am his best work. There's some characteristics of a poor self-image. You may have one of these characteristics in your life. You may have several of them, but if you have five or six of them, you have a serious problem with a poor self-image. I don't have time to discuss them individually, but I want to simply give them to you. The first one is jealousy. Not wanting to be alone. Self-pity. Procrastination. Lack of motivation. Leaning on chemical crutches, maybe it's alcohols, drugs, tobacco, false aggressiveness. Everyone has it better than you. Everyone is out to get me. Hard time making decisions. You have no close friends because you're afraid to let people in, because you're afraid that if they get in close, they will find out who you really are and they will reject you. And so you wear a mask and and you won't let anybody close enough in to remove that mask. You have a trouble trusting yourself and question your own ability. You display an uncomfortable sense of humor. But for me, most of my adult life, I was overweight, still in a journey. But my sense of humor would cover my insecurities. I always had a confident self because of my sense of humor growing up. That I can make the whole room laugh or I can be just my personality the way it is. But inside you have no idea. I'm like, oh man, what? I look like this. And the thing is, is we'll put these excuses, but we're not putting in the work to change it. And I 
was like, my goodness, like, what do I got to do? And maybe that's where you're at today, where you have insecurities in you, whether it's something physical, maybe it's a spiritual insecurity. You feel like God has spoken to you to do something, to step out and do, and you're just like, I'm, I'm not, no one's going to believe me. No one's going to, no one, I, I, man, last time I, I trusted and it failed, and this time I didn't see it or it's taking too long, whatever it may be. And there's insecurities that you live your daily life in. Can I tell you to accept God's love and forgiveness today? Salvation is the first step in solving any problem. Whatever the question, Jesus is the answer. And it's certainly true with self-image until you believe and receive God's unconditional love and forgiveness. You will never love yourself until you love yourself. You will never love others. And until you give and receive love from others, you will never know personal happiness. It all starts in your relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Receiving that love from God. God so loved you that he gave his son Jesus to die on that cross. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Because of reconciliation, you are acceptable to God. There is no greater theme in this book than that of reconciliation. Holy God and sinful man have been reconciled because of Jesus' death on that cross. My friend, if you want to know whether or not you are worthy, valuable, the cross gives you that answer. It is the cross that proves that you have been accepted and once accepted, no longer unacceptable. It's the cross that gives you that value, that worth, a solid fact that Christ loved you enough to die. Jesus loved you more than he loved himself. He died in your place. Tell me how awful sin is and how they took the sinless son of God who knew no sin and placed him upon him the sins of the whole world, adultery and murder, rape and incest, on and on. They took all that sin and placed it on the holy sinless son of God. Tell me what that was like, and I'll tell you the worth of one person. Tell me how horrible it was for Jesus, the Son of God, to take the humiliation, the mockery of the crowd, the crown of thorns, the nails in his hands and feet, God turning his back. You tell me how awful the cross was, and I will tell you what one person is worth. Tell me what it's like to be placed in a grave, a cold, dark grave, dead. That's what one person is worth. My friend, had you been the only person on earth, Jesus would have died on that cross for you. It's the cross that provides our value. We know we are worthy because God loved us enough that he sent his only son to die on that cross for our sins and to take our place. We forget the power of what Jesus already did. And we suffer in our self-image, in our own problems and in situations in life and we forget and minimize and diminish the power of what Jesus already did. He died for your freedom. And some of us, we turn our backs to him. And God wants a life, a relationship with you. Take a breath if you're in here. I'm, I'm done. Just Can I tell you that you are something special? Not one in a million, but one in four billion. Now listen to me. God loves nobody more than he loves you. You're somebody special. You're unique. You're one of a kind. An artist, as I said earlier, creates a masterpiece. 
a man who was a genius in the strokes on the canvas and that one-of-a-kind original can be worth thousands, millions of dollars. You are one-of-a-kind original from the genius of the universe. Incredibly valued. You've got a thumbprint that nobody else has got one like in the whole world. Now they have decided our voice print is unique. You've got a voice print unlike anybody else in the whole world. You're somebody special. And you can love yourself because God loves you. Because Christ died for you. Because you are God's child. Because God indwells in you. You are wonderful. Somebody on your way to becoming everything God intends for you to be. So you've got to see yourself as God's child. You've got to see yourself as worthy and valuable because of the cross. You've got to see yourself indwelled by God. God has taken up residence in your life. Anything godly is valuable and worth. You've got to separate who you are from what you do. Your worth and value is not based upon your performance. It's based upon God's love for you. You must accept your own strengths and weaknesses. Every one of us is imperfect. We have strengths and we have weaknesses. You have a gift that God has given you as a Christian, a spiritual gift. You have talent that God has given you, but you also have weaknesses and you have imperfections and you have flaws and you must accept that. You will make mistakes. You have made mistakes. Others will make mistakes. You will be misunderstood. You will misunderstand others. You will be slighted. You will slight others. You will make mistakes and you will mess up. And when you mess up, admit it, accept it, forgive it, straighten it out as best as you can and then move on. It's part of life. And when you receive compliments, accept them graciously. Don't put yourself down. Accept them. Accept yourself as you are somebody special created by God. Somebody special created by God. Bow your heads right where you're at. Close your eyes and Father, we just come to you in this moment, giving you thanks for this message and allowing us to be open to hearing how much you love us. And that nothing I've done, nothing I've committed, nothing I've fallen into will separate your love for me today we're able to realize how much you love us, that it's an unconditional love, that you love us beyond our imperfections, that you created us, that we are here with purpose, that it's not too late to respond to your love, that what I've been lacking in loving others, Lord, is tied so much into how much I accept and receive your love and how much I love you, that today we can walk away from here different, knowing that we are loved to follow your greatest commandment, Lord, to love you with everything and to love the people around us as we love ourselves. Today we can embrace our worth and to take away, Lord, the pain from words and comments that have been said to us that we felt has devalued us and has made us feel insignificant and unworthy that we accept your love because you made us worthy when you sent your only son to die for us. 
So Father, touch our hearts right now in this moment. That if we're battling it, if I'm battling it, if I'm struggling with this, Lord, that you're able to soften hearts in the room right now to embrace your love, to accept your boundless love, to be able to walk knowing that you are a loved child of God, that it affects and impacts everything around me, Lord, that it starts to expand something within me, to be able to love the ones around me, to be able to forgive those that hurt me, to be able to be an expression of love to people that need it in the moment. Heal our wounds, Lord. Heal our past. Heal our broken hearts. Heal those difficult moments that we keep rehearsing in our minds to be able to grow and heal from this, Father. There's a story in my testimony, Father. And today we want to surrender and submit it to you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Let's all stand to our feet as we close today. And I hope that you receive that message today on boundless love, embracing your worth. But I feel that with what God has called us to do at Revive, the vision of this house as people walk in is we're believing that hope is revived. The Holy Spirit is revived. That there's things within, each, within us begins to happen so that it just doesn't stay here. That wherever we go, wherever we step foot, God begins to just do a work in people. You have a story. You've gone through things. You've faced difficulties in life. You may still be in it right now. But do you believe that God can transform it and usher it to be utilized to save people? He called us with two commands. He says, go and make disciples. And the other one is this. Love me with everything and love your neighbor. Expansion for us is not necessarily to fill this room to its capacity that we can't fit anymore. It shows growth. But expansion is literally living that out, saying that with the love that God has shared with me, I don't just hold it. I go share it with someone else. So that people hear of the gospel, people hear about what Jesus did. And some of us, we put ourselves down saying, I don't know the Bible enough. I don't know the right verses. I don't Just share your story. Start to put yourself in a position to be like, you know what? At any moment's notice, God, this week or next week or the following week, you may present an opportunity where I get to share about what Jesus did in my life. Where you can direct people to the Bible, direct them to his word and say, man, if he did this for me, I'm believing you do it for you. Let's pray. That's what it's all about. To not just be comfortable in church, but to take this outside of the walls of church to share it with our coworkers, share it with our friends, share it in the street, share it wherever he may send us. In moments right there in, in line where you're paying for your, for your food, in line where you're doing your groceries, God will present moments and the Holy Spirit will tug in your heart saying, speak to her, give that person a hug. Let them know that, hey, everything's gonna be okay. You, God will give you the words. The Holy Spirit will usher you in those moments. But it starts with your relationship with him and submitting yourselves wholeheartedly saying, God, I'm here. Take all of me. Amen? It's, it's not over. Don't hold yourself back no more like, oh my God, I've done this before. And this, no, no, no. God receives you with open arms, 
open-hearted, a smile on his face. I could just see it when you approach him. It says, I've always loved you. So one more time, if you could just close your eyes, bow your heads right there. I'm going to do a special call. And it's a call to salvation. You know where your life is right now. You know what it is that you're facing. You know what you can do more of or what you can do less of. You're in a position right now where you can say, man, I know I can, if I would just step forward in this or if I would just just really focus on this. I don't have to tell you, you know yourself. And I want to give you an opportunity today on this Sunday to be able to say, God, I want to surrender my life to you. I want to receive that love. I want to feel that love again. And maybe it's for the first time and maybe it's, it's a second, third, fifth, fifteenth time for you. It doesn't matter. His love is unconditional. It's boundless. And he wants to wrap you in his arms. He wants to take the guilt away. He wants to take that feeling of unworthiness away. He wants to let you know that you are valuable, that you are his best work. Yet you are the apple of his eye. That's what he sees when he sees you. And we'll rehearse in our heads how messed up we are and what we've done wrong. God is saying, give that to me. I forgive you. That's what surrendering is, is saying, I can't do this on my own or I can't do it in my own strength. I need you. I surrender my life to you. That's when you accept him as Lord and Savior, saying he saves you from what you're going through. But when you make him Lord of your life, he governs your life. He guards your life. He takes care of your life. He's right there guiding your life. Some of us, we only want him as Savior, and then we go live our life the way we want. God is saying, make me Lord of your life. And you will find true, genuine happiness. He fulfills the emptiness. He fulfills what you're facing and going through. No man, no woman can fulfill that. He does. And you might be bouncing from relationship to relationship and God is saying, I'm here. This is the relationship that matters. This is the relationship that brings you worthy and value. This is the relationship that will fulfill you and make you whole to be able to withstand sharing your love with someone else. So if I'm speaking to you today, I want to give you that opportunity to pray over you. If today you want to make things right with God, I said, Lord, I want to receive your boundless love. I want to receive it so that I can love others. I want to let go of these thoughts that I keep thinking of who I am when you've just heard who I'm not. And if that's you in the room right now and you're saying, Pastor Andres, I want to respond to salvation. I, I, I want to give everything to God today. My life, my problems, my heart, my situations, I, I need my, my pain, my turmoil, my suffering, my anxiety, my depression. I, I need to give this all to you. My feeling of loneliness, my feeling of unworthiness, my feeling of rehearsing what I've done wrong and holding myself to that standard saying I'm never going to make it because of what I did. No, God is saying I'm ready to receive and forgive you. If that's you, right where you're at, just lift your hands. Pastor, and that's me. I'm ready to do that today. I'm ready to do that today. You're not alone. You're not by yourself.